and welcome to From the Rookery End. Uh, it's that time of year, it's the beginning of January, and of course, it's FA Cup third round. How long can we go without saying the word magic in this podcast, as we always do uh, uh, when the FA Cup comes around? Joining me uh, after Watford, unfortunately, lost 2-0 away at Reading, uh, is Colin. Yeah, not much magic there. Okay, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also Lionel Burney. Hi, Lionel. Hello there. Hello, John. Hello, Colin. Yeah, no magic for me either, unfortunately. Still without an FA Cup win since that fantastic magic day at Wembley against Wolves in 2019 in the FA Cup semi-final. It feels like that was the last FA Cup win for us ever. <laughs> what, a, what a last one that would be, though. Before we get going uh, on that game, um, is we just have to touch a little bit on uh, the sad passing of uh, Gianluca Vialli, uh, former Watford manager who passed away on Friday. Uh, Lionel, he was a, a man many Watford fans vilify, but the outpouring, I suppose, from from what we've heard, is a man as you know, to the person. Let's you know, not neglecting the football side, who's who's you know very much well loved um, across the board. Um, you got to interact with him a bit, didn't you? Uh, very briefly, yeah. I mean, a very, very fine footballer, of course. And uh, on a couple of occasions, I met him a very fine man as well. You know, I think uh, just a bad fit for Watford at the time. But, uh, a, you know, a, a legend, really, of the game. You know, the, everything achieved with the Italian national team and Sampdoria and Juventus. I mean, we've seen the tributes that they have paid to him um, this week, and of course Chelsea, where I think he was symbolic of the kind of the the coming of age of the Premier League, wasn't he? He came across in that first era when the Premier League was really beginning to attract, you know, not just um, you know foreign players, but foreign superstars. And Viali, although he was approaching the end of his career when he joined Chelsea, was certainly a superstar. Um, I mean, he was an icon because you know the wristbands and the you know the <laughs> shaved head, and uh, you know before that the the kind of the um, the short perm, you know, he had a look and uh, he carried himself in, in such a kind of an iconic way. And of course, when he was, his name was first mentioned in the frame to take over from Graham Taylor, uh, when Graham said that he was going to retire from club management in 2001. I mean, it was almost unbelievable, wasn't it? You know, Gianluca Vialli, I know his time as manager of Chelsea had come to a sort of inauspicious end uh, but he was nevertheless such a respected and well-liked loved figure in football it felt like uh, Watford had really struck gold and I think maybe perhaps the people who were making that decision at the time uh, the board at the time were a little bit starstruck from the start there was an almost indecent haste from the time that it was public that Gianluca Vialli was taking over to kind of usher Graham Taylor out of the door I can completely understand why everybody got swept up in that sense of excitement but you know events dear boy that's the the cliche isn't it the the ITV digital collapse which happened that autumn really meant that Watford's uh, kind of you know sort of stretching themselves a little bit financially really was exposed quite rapidly and the players that were assembled weren't all up to the task um, but I think Viali himself he carried himself with dignity from the beginning to the end of that season even though it was fairly apparent very early on that, that it wasn't going to go the way we all hoped I mean I went out to Italy for the pre-season tour that they had you know and it felt like 
you know, Watford was kind of becoming this sort of big club. You know, they had a kind of private um, hotel. They had a training venue. They played Inter Milan and Sampdoria in, in a couple of friendlies. I mean, it felt like something that, you know, we'd never experienced before. But then when it came to the real hard business of the Ensley League first division, as it was then, I think, Manchester City away on the opening day, um, on ITV Digital, sort of six o'clock on a Saturday kickoff, I seem to remember. You know, it, it felt almost otherworldly to us at the time. And we had Viali in the dugout. And I think Kevin Keegan was the Manchester City manager. And, and they won 3 0. And, and I suppose that set the tone for what was a disappointing season. And there was this sense that at some point, Viali's magic was going to rub off, that the squad was going to gel, and that we were going to uh, make this kind of rush for the playoffs. But I'm afraid the likes of uh, Patrick Blondo, Ramon Vega, Stephen Hughes, um, you know, that, that I don't think their heart was perhaps in it. But there were still some absolute gems. I mean, Filippo Galli, I think we can all say, you know, anyone who saw him play in a Watford shirt, even at 38 or 39, whatever age he was when, when he made his debut, absolute class. And uh, I think that's the thing with Viali, carried himself um, with a sense of class and dignity, but just a bad fit for Watford at that time. And once he left, he understandably wanted to, uh, an acceptable compensation package and uh, Watford didn't offer one and it sort of went down the legal route and, and I think soured a bit. But um, it was nice today there at uh, Reading that they they had the minutes applause for someone who, yeah, like I say, was, uh, I suppose we all wished it had turned out differently with Gianluca Viali and Watford. But I mean, it was it was on the sort of roller coaster of, uh, of experiences. It was one of those years when you just couldn't quite believe what was happening at times. I mean, I remember being so excited about it, Colin, when his name came up. And I was uh, at university at that point and uh, was just, you know, I was excited. And everybody started talking to me, you know, wow, you guys got Gianluca Viardi coming. You know, they were excited for us in a weird way. Uh, But he was just a bit ahead of his time as an Italian manager, uh, wasn't he? Do you have fond memories of him at all? Watford. I don't have any fond memories of him at Watford, uh, sad to say. But I I think he was a great, um, he was a game changer when he came to Chelsea things I remember about Gianluca Vialli is that he smoked at half time I love that <laughs> um, being a fairly uh, confirmed smoker myself at that time not so much now uh, and the other thing was um, when he became manager of Chelsea he just uh, he started to wear clothes uh, in his interviews that no one in England and, and remember this was the 90s and we were still very much stuck in a kind of old school English up and at him get stuck in lads on the on the muddy pitch you know in, with the orange ball kicking lumps out of each other and he was cultured and and he had uh, he had this look uh, on match of the day when he'd turn up in front of the advertising screens to be interviewed he'd have a a kind of gray v-neck uh, over his yeah. shirt um, yeah, I can see it now and yeah. he used to refer to the players as the chaps do you remember that? Oh, yes. He used to go, oh, the oh, chaps, yeah. the chaps. It was just a beautiful thing. And he was he is a, was a very beautiful man. And he obviously was a quite cultured human being. It was interesting listening to Graham Soonis, actually. That was the, the one thing that I heard this week that actually really moved me because Soonis can be a bit of an irascible old sod, can't he? And um, he was very choked up in his interview talking about Viali, saying that very few people had changed the course of his life. But Viali, who obviously played with him at Sampdoria, he said that, you know, he showed me a way to live that I hadn't really uh, thought of or experienced before. 
and uh, yeah, he got he got very choked up. So obviously, Viali had a big effect on a lot of people. His time at Watford is something that we probably should just draw a curtain over because it really was, frankly, a bit of a disaster. I think Lionel's been been very kind there. Some of the players that came in, um, their hearts weren't in it. Is a kind of a massive understatement. But you know, it was it was exciting at the beginning, and it just soured quite quickly. And you know, and we went from being. Uh, financially quite secure to being financially very insecure. I think we sold the ground after he left. We had to sell the ground. We bought it back later. But uh, so it was a difficult time. It was difficult because our expectations were raised and then they were dashed. So that was tough. And he was very much the the centre of of that. Apart away from his time at Watford, and you know everyone's allowed to have bad moments in their lives, aren't they? Just happened to us. That's all. But um, yeah, he's he's a great figure in football. And there he was. Um, I think he was there in the dugout at the Euros, and it was just great to see him. And you know, just a brilliant ca- footballing character from the last 30 or so years. So yeah, it's very very sad. It's always sad when someone dies in their 50s. You think, golly, that's really. You know he's younger than me, and that's 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 a bit of a. It's 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 kind of hard to imagine what that must be like for his family, and you know to be such a big charismatic figure to have suddenly lost him, and yeah, and for the whole of Italy, you know, it's, it, 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 I think it's really a, a, been a, a you know a, a massive blow for them. I think Colin, yeah, you 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 mentioned the 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 grey pullover, and that I remember the fat tie. You know, there's almost this caricature of Viali, and and when you said that about the chaps, I'd forgotten that, but I do remember he referred to Tommy Smith as Smudger, didn't he, very early on, and and Tommy <laughs> Smith was kind of you know our our nascent number nine. You know, he he was just kind of coming of age himself, put a lot of I think pressure and expectation on uh, a, a young player, perhaps unwittingly, perhaps unnecessarily, but in terms of you know his time at Watford the problem was the gap between the expectation and that anticipation and the reality was so vast and the team itself was a sort of soft touch flat track bullies I mean Patrick Blondo I mean whether or not this story is entirely true or not I don't know but the rumor was that you know he he was going to be substituted after 65 or 70 minutes one day because he had his flight back to Marseille book to go and spend the rest of the weekend with his family I mean it was that kind of culture you know they they started booking Sopwell House for afternoons before evening home games and and there was just this sense that the the continental way was not inspiring this group of uh, you know English second tier professionals but was actually sort of you know making them into a, a bit of a soft touch I mean there were some highlights there was a, a reasonable league cup run but even that unraveled when he sort of tinkered unnecessarily with the team in the quarter final at Hillsborough and we lost 4-0 to Sheffield Wednesday and what was a real kind of dreadful disappointing night um but you know it, it it was all underpinned by this this uh, sense that the English second tier with its TV deal had kind of overreached itself collectively. And, and I think Watford paid a much bigger price than perhaps they needed to um, for, I, I guess, a year of folly slightly. But that wasn't necessarily Viali's fault, that, no. you know, that he wasn't signing the cheques. And I do gather that, you know, when he tried to kind of rally for one last push for the playoffs in in the springtime um he offered to pay the wages of one player himself i think it was paul ocon things like that have to go in the kind of the credit column it wasn't all disastrous and dreadful but there were some real bad moments i remember losing to millwall on new year's day 4-1 at home i mean you know that's really not christmasy is it um even less christmasy than this year's defeat <laughs> against <say>. millwall <laughs> <laughs> Gianluca Viali, I mean, uh, you know, a legend in the game. And as you say, Colin, you know, such a, a shock and a shame to lose him so young. From the rookery end, 
But we did have a, a game of football today. Uh, Watford in the third round of the FA Cup. What was it like there, Lionel? You and Colin made the trip. What was it like at the car leasing company Majeski Stadium? Um, what was it like there today? Because often the, the crowds are down on a FA Cup third round. Well, the crowds were certainly down. I think it was just under 8,000. It must have been a couple of thousand Watford fans. Which, Apparently uh, over 2,000, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's... Yeah, I think that says something. The ticket pricing is attractive for people. Uh, for my part, I'd never actually been there before. I'd given it a, a miss, um, despite, you know, it's not far away, is it? And there'd been opportunities to go many times over the years that Reading have played there, but never actually made it. But I'm trying to complete the 92 and uh, so any opportunity to you know pick off some low-hanging fruit I will take and so I thought well why not 15 pound a ticket I'll go and see uh, what sort of team we put out I mean obviously got the ticket before um, two-thirds of the squad were you know laid laid down with uh, or hospitalized or whatever's happened to them all as an experience I came away thinking if this was my regular uh, Saturday match day experience, I think I'd probably give up on sort of elite football pretty quickly. I mean, it's soulless, it's out of town, um, there's nothing around it of any note. It's basically in a car park next to some uh, dual carriageways, it's plastic inside, there's not even any architectural um, nuance to it. It just feels like a, a club that tried to fast track its way to the Premier League and, and kind of cling on to the riches of English football by building itself a facility. It's not a, it's not a football ground, it's a facility. And a, the fact that the conference centre is is on the side, which I have actually been to before uh, for a conference, uh, you know, just gives it that slightly sort of soulless corporate feel. And uh, when we got in the ground and we were told that the... Um, Watford End was unreserved seating. That was slightly unusual considering we knew that... Uh, old school. Uh, yeah. Old school, yeah. Considering <laughs> we knew that a big uh, um, allocation of tickets had been sold. Reading hadn't opened the other end opposite us. They hadn't opened the upper tier to my left uh, or to our left. So it was kind of a football in a sort of, well, third full stadium with one end completely empty. You know, that's never going to give you the, the sense of the magic of the cup. And I think... Uh, you know, I'm not going to criticise the pricing. I think if they charged a pound, they would have struggled to, to fill it. Because if, if I was a Reading supporter, I would think this is a day off from having to visit uh, the the select car <laughs> oh. leasing stadium. Um, so oh. as, as an experience... That was what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the game, Colin? We were, you know, there's there's a lot of players. We know that an FA Cup third round often gives young players an opportunity. But I suppose there were there were different groups in that that starting eleven and the substitutes that came on for me anyway. And I was looking at them for, for very different reasons. The first one, of course, being the new boy. We always like a new boy, uh, and they always turn up this time of year. Given a chance, and he started Kone. What do we think? Everything seems to be positive uh, about it. Do we think he is, uh, from what you saw, do you think he is someone who is going to be pushing slash filling um, the, the midfield for Watford in the coming weeks? Well, it's interesting listening to Bilic's, um comments afterwards about him. I mean, the, the boy is definitely going to start against Blackpool on Saturday. I can't think, I can't see that he won't. He, he, he turned up on the pitch. It's one of those things, John, I, I, you know, there's little telltale signs about players. It's obviously um, very young sort of front three. Uh, we can talk about them a little bit later. And, and Morris uh, was getting a second start, consecutive start after playing against Norwich. And so it's interesting. You look at the body language of certain players. Obviously, Troost, Akong and Siralta look like first teamers and they're, they're wandering around, pointing at players and, and 
directing players into positions that they need them to be in, and that's all that's all fine. Morris looked like, well, I'm a starter now, so he was running up and down the left side of the pitch. Give me the ball, I'll knock it inside, I'll make a run, knock it over the top to me. He was like, he was just acting like um he, he knew where he was and that he he was acting like the experienced pro. <laughs> so that was quite interesting to see him kind of suddenly emerge amongst these young players as well, I'm young like you, but I've started and won a game at Norwich. So yeah, you move out of the way and let me tell you what to do. So there's a bit of that from him, which I actually really liked. But Kone, Kone walked onto the pitch quite tall and slight. He had his socks rolled down. You think, oh, hello. So that's a big statement, isn't it? He's like, I've got my socks halfway down my calves. I'm telling you that I'm the best player on the pitch. And then he went out and for 90 minutes proved that he was clearly the class act on the pitch, even though we lost. You know, it's not his fault. He just, in a couple of moments very early in the game, the ball comes to him. It's like a sort of shin high, thigh high ball. He, he controls it. He knocks it down. He looks up. Players are kind of pressing around him. They're, they're a bit nervous about him because they can just, there's a whiff of class about him. And then he just, he lays the ball off, stands there, runs three yards, gets the ball back, turns it from his right foot onto his left foot, lays it off, makes a little run into the centre of the park, gets the ball back. He's just, He's a player. There's no doubt about that. He was unperturbed by the empty stadium, by Reading's uh, S-housery, if you like. A bit Bournemouth style, some of it. They're falling on the ground, complaining to the ref, rolling. A lot of rolling around. A lot of that three rolls thing that we talked about before uh, from the Reading players, which was I haven't seen really for a while. They just they go down and they suddenly start rolling across the pitch. It's like, what's going on? So there was a bit that he was unperturbed by any of that. He was like, I want the ball. Give me the ball. I'll lay it off to you. I know these are all kids. They're not first teamers, but let me get the ball. And, you know, and I started to think, hmm, when Chowdhury's back and he's playing alongside him, that, that could work. That might be a nice little, because he's, he's clearly got, a, he's, he's, always, he's, he's forward looking. He's looking to get the, on the ball and get the ball forward. So he's, he's more of an eight than a six. I've got plenty of sixes at the club. So I, I feel pretty positive about him. It'd be interesting to see him play in a team of first-teamers. Obviously, we haven't quite got a team of first-teamers yeah. at the moment with our, now with Bakuna, nine midfielders currently out, although there is talk that Chowdhury's coming back. So hopefully that that will happen and we'll be able to start, you know, getting some players back into this side and, and producing a, you know, a, a, hopefully Davis won't be out for too long and all that sort of stuff. But it looks like we've bought someone that can go straight into that first team. He can, he can shoulder up against his teammates and say, right, I'm here now. Give me the ball. You move over there. I'll pass it. I'll make a run. You should be over there. I'll pass it. But, you know, he just looks like one of those players to me. And, and I, so I thought, OK, well, that's that's a good that. I'm glad I came to the car select car park stadium uh, just to see his uh, his debut, uh, because it was actually something that was worth watching in a game that really fundamentally was an entirely waste of time. And, and it, what's sad, really, is that there's been a lot of talk about um, not having replays at, Round three and round four, big clubs are complaining. Obviously, people like Klopp hate them, and I, I can understand that they're they're under a lot of pressure. But you know, if teams are going to play kids, if we're all going to play kids in the third round of the FA Cup, then let's get rid of replays and have a and, and have a penalty shootout because there's absolutely no point if that game had been drawn that those two teams had to come to Vicarage Road and play another game. It's absolutely pointless. I don't know. I think so, actually we'll, we'll get into it a bit. You know, the younger players, yeah. they, them get another run out. You know, we've seen yeah. we've seen with Morris, as you said. You know, he. He was running and, you know, performing with his head a little bit higher today. And, you know, that, that's what these boys need. 
Um, God, I sound old-sounding boys, don't I? Um, well, they are. They boys. are. I know, but I don't like using the word. <laughs> I feel, oh, those boys, um, because the you know they, it, it would give them another opportunity. And if we had got it, then in the last time we had a, a, a replay, it was all kids who went up to Tranmere for the replay. You know, the other player who was in midfield with him, uh, Lionel. You know, particularly the first half, that was where we had nothing really going. Not nothing going on, but. Just the two of them in there, Kone being new, uh, and Espria, you know, him also being being there. They they did actually, for me as a pair, they were were acting like they knew each other and were were doing something, if just not a little bit overrun. Yeah, I mean, I thought Kone brought the best out in Aspria and made Aspria look yeah. like he wanted to be a player. And, oh, hang on a minute, I can do this too. And the pair of them started working really well together in the second half. And and both of them have that, that sort of willowy, callowy kind of confidence of youth. They've not yet been battered about by the championship. And, and, and they both... I think have enough about them physically, despite being, you know, quite slight. Um, they can take the hits, and they can they really boss the midfield for for spells um, in the second half. And I, I, Colin, a couple of things I just wanted to pick up on there because what you said about James Morris, I completely saw that in him today. You know, oh look, you weren't at Swansea, man. You don't know what it was like. <laughs> you know, there was that sort of apocalypse now type sense with with one or two of them. Um, but I thought Kone in the warm ups they had a goal set up alongside the actual goal for them to shoot into in, in warm-ups and the Watford players were going through what I thought was quite sort of fundamental drills you know kind of a little pass from the coach and then a sidestep and then a shot and just something about the way Kone carried himself through those drills just made me think mm, he stands out above the rest of them for maybe the first 20 minutes, half an hour of the game, he looked a little bit like he was finding his feet. But I think there was almost a moment where he went on this run in the first half. It was that moment where it felt like he thought, I'm actually better than most of the players on this pitch and, and I'm going to show it in the second half. And he did. And that in itself brought Aspria up. And John, you say we, you know, these players could have had another opportunity in an FA Cup replay. Well, I think some of them are going to get an opportunity in the league, aren't they? Such as the injury crisis at the moment. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I agree with both of you. Uh, if today is anything to go by, Kone is uh, definitely a prospect and someone um, who I think with a bit of you know, careful nurturing, bear in mind there are still 20 league matches to go between now and the end of the season. I think he can play a really big part. Of course, it was the magic of the FA Cup, um, and we like to see. Uh, you know, it's often an opportunity. Yeah. How many is that? Seven now? No, uh, the four. Four. <laughs> four. Um, we want to see like this is an opportunity for these young young players, not babies, not lads, but you know, boys still. And we got to see quite a few on the pitch. People who have come through the academy: Ryan Andrews, son of Wayne. Uh, those who can remember back to the mid-90s. Adameo came on uh, 90 minutes for Adupoko. Going loco, Michael Adupoko. Oh, wow. Thank you much to uh, Ollie Wicken for that one. Adrian Blake up front and Jack Greaves, uh, who also came on, uh, which makes Skilly Williams' uh, DNA uh, branching out across 100 years at Vicarage Road. Uh, he is the great-great-grandson uh, of Skilly Williams. Uh, you have all those, those boys and... What did you what do you take from from their performances, Colin? You know, we're not expecting necessarily for them to be starting games. They could absolutely they could if things keep going the way they are. But they might be options. They might be starting to be on that bench, and they might start getting those minutes that 
you know, those slowly building up minutes that you need as you turn from being a, an academy graduate to being a, a first team choice. What, who, who stood out for you? I thought Blake was the one who was least comfortable and he was pulled at half time. He was playing down the left side of what was fundamentally a kind of a front, a front three, if you like. We were playing a sort of a 3-4-3 three, three, or was it a 5-2-3? It's hard to say. But anyway, there were three up front, basically. Blake on the left, Adipoko on the, in the middle and Hungbo on the right. Hungbo has played a number of games or come on in a number of games for Watford and he looks like a confident young player. Whether he's really good enough technically or whether he's got the talent really to establish himself even on the bench I think is probably doubtful but he he runs around he looks like a confident player and he wants to get on the ball and he wants to get forward Blake on the other hand got the ball and he he looked a bit nervous on the ball he was always trying to turn around and pass it backwards and they got onto him quite quickly because they could see there was a sort of he was slightly shaky on the ball and but you know it will be a good experience for him and who knows whether he is good or not Adupoku had a, a few moments I thought in the first half where he he's quite strong and he got the ball and he went went was running forward and I thought well maybe maybe there's a player here but he slightly faded I thought as the game went on but the players really that I liked um and it maybe it's easier when you come on in the second half I thought Andrews looked really good and I was wondering why he hadn't started from right at the beginning frankly because he came on I suppose, effectively a right wing back for Gaspar and he just looked confident on the ball he got the ball he was demanding the ball he was he was hugging the touchline he got a few crosses off and so he and then and then Greaves came on into central midfield who is I think the fourth generation yeah, of that Williams yeah, yeah. dynasty I think I think that his dad and his granddad also pl- have played minutes for Watford I'm not certain you have to talk to the Wiccans about that so he came on and he really did put it about a bit you know he's um he's quite a big lad but he was running around smashing into stuff I think he may I'm just checking to see whether he got booked he didn't get booked but he came on on the 50 in the 54th minute he had plenty of time to establish himself and I actually thought he he did he did pretty well but by then we were one nil down the game had did have a slight whiff of the sixth form playground <laughs> you know it was it, there was a lot it was a bit of an untidy game by then but yeah I thought Greaves looked like there might be someone there I thought Andrews looked mm, te- he looked he looked quite good very tidy physic you know physically tidy kind of way he held onto the ball um, the way he held off tackles the way you know and, the, and the, just his positioning and his crossing just thought maybe maybe there's a player there that's why I went, really. I went to see these players who I've, I've not seen and not heard of. I'm going to go on Monday to the Under-18s Youth Cup game as well because it's free to season ticket holders. Uh, I think they're opening the Sir Elton John stand. So again, another opportunity to go and see young Watford players going through their paces. But yeah, I would, I would, say, I would say that Adupoku, all right in the first half, faded a bit. Greaves came on. I, I quite like the look of him, but I thought Andrews probably was the one that stood out for me. And, and Lionel, they, they, they kept going, didn't they, towards the end? You know, not, you're not saying they were you know, kitchen sinking it. But, you know, they were really pushing it and trying and they weren't giving up. And, I, you know, like I said, I, I would have loved the, for them when it was, I don't know what the average age was near the end of the game. But, you know, when it was those young lads basically playing to, to get another game of first team football in a replay, um, I sort of like that. And I don't think I've seen that in a recent FA Cup third round youth outings. It was it was great. Well, it was interesting. Before the game, we were speculating what the team lineup might look like. And I look back at the lineup for that FA Cup 
third round tie against Tranmere Rovers at Vicarage Road. Uh, how many years ago was that now? Three years ago. Yeah. And uh, I looked at that team thinking that was kind of similar to this, you know, like it was a whole, you know, academy graduate type lineup. And uh, I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, if you put that team into our championship, um, you know, season this season, it would probably do pretty well. There were some experienced players in there. This was a, a really kind of raw lineup, and compared to Reading's team, which was a lot stronger, I did fear that they might be a little bit overrun, over, um, you know, just sort of overawed, perhaps by you know the occasion. But as you say, Colin, there were, you know, there were some real bright moments, some real bright performances. I, I agree with you. I thought Blake, you know, looked a little bit hesitant. I, I agree. Andrews looked, looked great when he came on. He played a fantastic sort of pass, you know, into the channel. Um, you know, he was looking to, to sort of probe and get forward as well. And, and Greaves for me was a standout. I thought he just was, was bags of energy and commitment and just elbows and knees and just sort of, you know, a, a disruptive midfielder, um, uh, you know, looked like uh, he was absolutely loving it out there. In terms of the performance, I thought it was solid. You know, bear in mind, the, the two goals were scored with the penultimate kick of each half. I mean, there was literally only time to kick off at the end of the first half and kick off uh, before the final whistle was blown. You know, they held out for damn near the whole 45 minutes both times and were, were kind of undone by just that moment of collective uh, inattention. And it has to be said, um, you know, goalkeeping uncertainty. But I thought, you know, in terms of seeing young players, on the one hand, it was very positive that uh, they fitted in so well and they gave a good account of themselves. On the other hand, I think it exposed our kind of the difficulty when it comes to assessing young players because we kind of think that there's something waiting around the corner that's going to be a, a huge game changer. And actually what happens is young players come in and they play in exactly the same way as the first team. And in any kind of good professional outfit, that's how it should be. You know, the academy's uh, squad and the under 18s and so on they should all be a mirror of what the first team is trying to do but in that sense we saw the kind of the same you know slight hesitancy here and there you know the the, the caution with some of the passes but that will come with with a bit of time and I definitely think somebody like Morris is is already starting to put a little bit of a fingerprint on the first team squad and there might be one or two in there that will follow in his footsteps as well so I'm normally quite cautious and, and a little bit downbeat when it comes to heralding the next wave of young players as if we're going to uncover, you know, a, a, a 21st century version of John Barnes and Nigel Callahan and Steve Terry and Kenny Jackett who are all going to go on and play 200 games for the first team. I, I just think those days are kind of gone, really. But there might be one or two real gems in there. Yeah, I think it's about them getting minutes and then getting a few more minutes and getting a few more minutes and being around the first team rather than just being this, which it has felt in the past, these one-offs where you get to play as first team members of a, of a squad. You need to be around it a bit more and all of a sudden, in a league game at least, five minutes becomes 10, becomes 20, becomes 45, becomes 90. And and I I, I think like you're right, with, with Greaves and with Andrews and even Adipoko, you know, I, I think there's there's a chance that I don't think they're going to be desperately needed, or fingers crossed at least. But they they could start to develop a little bit more, which we haven't really seen 
uh, at Watford for the last few years. But do, and maybe do not, I think we should we should also mention Adameo because he came on for 15 oh, yeah, minutes and he looked like an absolute unit. <laughs> so it, there's a possibility that he might start against Blackpool in the number nine role because he, he looks like he's got that physical presence. If Davis has got a hamstring injury and doesn't recover, then we need a number nine and we need a focal point. You can't stick a Spreer and Bio up there on the, the two of them because you just can't get the ball to them, not in the championship anyway. We haven't got midfielders that can get the ball to them. So you've got to have a focal point. And he, he actually impressed me the last 15 minutes. He looked like a big lad. Again, he came on with bags of energy, quite a lot of charisma and presence on the pitch. He nearly, I mean, he got in with the keeper. They had a bit of a wrestling match. We were screaming for a penalty. It wasn't a penalty. It wasn't a foul on the keeper either. But, you know, we were desperate by that stage. So, uh, but yeah, so he was he was fun to watch as well. I'd be interested to watch his progress. The one thing about the development of young players when you're a team like we are, which is sort of, you know, we're sort of stuck in the elevator at the moment, aren't we? Between the Premier League and, and the, the Championship. I mean, hopefully the elevator is going to nudge its way back upwards at some point. But the 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 big thing Graham Taylor always said through that era, and I know we're talking about a completely different game almost, you know, the, the early 80s bears no resemblance to what the, the game is like and youth development is like today. But he did always make that point coming through the divisions from the fourth division that, that he wasn't trying to unearth talent for the fourth division or the third division. He was trying to unearth first division talent when the, the first team was still a third division club. And we're kind of in this strange sort of limbo these players we're kind of questioning whether they can do it against Blackpool or Rotherham in a couple of weeks time and actually you know for the club's kind of short-term medium-term future it does kind of highlight what a huge gap it is between developing players for the championship and developing players for the Premier League because it does always feel like every time we go up any kind of nod towards youth development is just swept away in a kind of tide of perhaps higher profile more expensive more ready-made arrivals and so you know youth development is a lever that we pull and then we put the brake on and then we pull it again and we put the brake on and so it's kind of difficult to assess what we've got and whether actually they'll get the opportunity to go forward. Um, it might well be that if we spend a couple of years treading water in a championship, some of these players will get more of an opportunity. And so we have to, as supporters, weigh up what it is we want. Do we want a first team that's in the Premier League uh, trying to keep its nose above the, the relegation zone? Or do we want to see young players being developed that we feel like we can sing, he's one of our own? And, and I think that's something that we wrestle with, really, isn't it? When we go and watch the team, what is it we're actually going to support what is it that we identify with are you are, are you right and i think what we haven't seen is as i say that, that sort of slow dripping through you know we named four players there that played well today are all four of them going to be coming first team regulars no i don't think it was even that heavy towards the middle end of graham taylor's time but you want one or two to be in and around every single year and i suppose you know with with richard johnson and uh, jimmy gilligan being part of the you know the academy running the academy now they they are there being a lot more they they're being you know supporters they're being you know cheerleaders for these these boys which i don't think they've necessarily had they've had the technical people developing the players but you need someone encouraging them through you know hopefully that's what you know two boys who two men who uh who came through the academy many years ago when it wasn't even called an academy you know they will be the thing that will hopefully 
change that culture, but it's it's not going to be a thing that's going to, you know, four players aren't going to make it through in one year. Unless, of course, it's 2011, where I think the, the Hartlepool game that we played in the third round of the FA Cup, every single member of that squad, who the starting 11, were all academy graduates. Many of them didn't play lots of games, but many of them did play a fair few games because we were so dependent on them. And like you say, maybe... A few years down the line, they, that might be a, a pool that we have to pull from. But we, we will see. At the moment, of course, it's all about trying to find people like Kone uh, and shining them and selling them on um, rather than, you know, from a, a few years into their, their life as a footballer, rather than those at the very, very bottom of their the ladder that they need to climb. Um, sort of people who are on the... the have, we've seen them on the ladder already. A, a Koi, Colin, Pollock and a Hungbo. They're players that we've seen do this young debut in the FA Cup third round um, or League Cups. How do you think they did? Did any of them really give you some positivity uh, for what might be able to help us in these these coming weeks where we've still got all these injuries? No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be Mike Parkin about this. Um, uh, If Mike was here, I'm sure he would be nodding his head along in agreement. Um, Hungbo is fine. You get exactly what you expect from Hungbo. A lot of running, quite direct, big sort of, he's like a kind of Adama Traore's younger brother, um, much younger brother. So you know what you get from him and and it's fine. And we're not seeing, I haven't seen since his first, since he first came on a couple of seasons ago, I haven't, you don't really see a huge amount of development. So he's what he is and we know what he is. And sometimes we will bring him off the bench because we think maybe he'll just create that one moment where we can, we can make a goal. And and, and he's wholehearted and I've got absolutely nothing against the lad. I I just wonder whether or not he's really got the kind of, uh, the raw talent to flourish in, in that team and in that division. The other two, (laughs) <laughs> um, Pollock really is not a very good footballer I'm sorry to say it. he's a massive lad and he's wholehearted and he heads the ball quite well but really he's he's no centre-half he's never he's never going to establish himself in a Watford first team as a centre-half that's never ever ever going to happen and, and, I, and I'm sure that he's a lovely lad and his family are very supportive of him and he's worked incredibly hard since the age of eight or nine to get where he is and I expect he will find a career uh, in football but I suspect it will be slightly lower down the pyramid and, and there's nothing wrong with that that's you know not everyone can play Premier League Championship football some people you know there's plenty of players playing in the FA Cup today in the National League playing their hearts out you know picking up their wage packets and all that but if you ask me whether this boy Pollock is going to play for Watford you know a hundred times no and the one that's really and it's my first glance of Akoi and I know that he was the Nigerian number one I know he got dropped at some point uh, and they brought in someone else. I, I find I didn't feel confident in him really at any point. And I, I, and that's not really, I can't point to, it certainly wasn't at fault for the first goal. No. Anyone who said he was in the wrong position. It's rubbish. just a, a cross. Rubbish. It's a lucky cross. <laughs> it just goes over his head and in off the post. I mean, it happens from time to time and people will say, did he mean it? Did he mean it? Of course he didn't mean it. It was a cross and it went in and that wasn't his fault. But that wasn't the problem. The thing I learned the about that first was, goal, Colin, was that actually that was his first ever goal as a playing for Reading and he certainly right. had a certain uh, Lloyd Doyley um, uh, reaction to, to the goal he did he couldn't believe it because he didn't in. try <laughs> it's not because really he looked up and thought oh that's a terrible cross and then boom it's in <laughs> so um, yeah he was quite happy with his goal um, and good luck to him but I, I, there was other moments just generally you know when you have that sense of 
of a goalkeeper. And you just I remember remember uh, our last kiss when he came on for ten minutes of extra time when uh, Gomez got injured up at Villa. Then you just saw him come on. You thought, oh no, my God, it was pouring with rain and uh, juggling the ball. And it was a little bit like that with a coy today. I mean, it's not fair really to criticise him. You've only seen him for ninety. And minutes. he hasn't played knows, that maybe. much football in the last few months. He's hardly so. played any football. So it's a tough position. You know, you've got to dominate the box. You've got to dictate to the centre halves. They were probably dictating to him because you've got these experienced players in front of him. But, you know, it was just, he went down a couple of times to collect the ball and it slipped out of his fingers and he had to get it a second time. There was just things you thought, I'm not really sure. And so I, I, I think we need a goal. We need a, a backup goalkeeper to Backman. I don't think he's it, frankly. That's, that's my feeling at the moment. Lionel? Did uh did you just put it down to you know he's just a young lad and give him a few more games and he he would be an option. I mean goalkeepers don't need we don't need the same sort of options and backups really um, when it comes to for a goalkeeper compared to midfielders for example. But he you know everyone was scathing him for the, the for the first goal and some even for the second goal and you know when it comes to playing Shane Long it's 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 up there with death and taxes things that you always know are going to happen. Um, but it's 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 not great, but it's just it's for me. I just I can literally, on hand of my heart, just say it's just down to he's not played a lot of competitive football. That's and that there. That's what happens. That's that's where you're at. Well, it does. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I don't want to hammer him, but I I I give him. I think for the second goal, actually, he was looked so uncertain. Yes, I know Shane Long is well. We got Shane Long, didn't we? Long ball down the middle, uh, great touch. You know, Shane Long did what Shane Long has done for uh, most of his thirty-five years, I think. But yeah, it didn't fill with confidence really. Uh, the spilled shots were one thing. The positioning, I thought, for the first goal was was not great. I mean, he, he, you know, he was. He, it's easy to say with hindsight because the ball went looping over his head and hit the far post and and was then in behind him. But it was a fluke. It was a cross. But still, you would expect a goalkeeper to take a ball that's coming right down, you know, the centre of the, you know, the, the of his line of vision, that he would have some kind of um, opportunity to reset his footing and, and at least try and uh, and, and claim that. But um, you know, I wasn't standing there in his uh, boots, so I, you know, maybe I'm doing him a huge disservice there. Um, but you know, he's not the first choice goalkeeper. I do think that. Poor old Pollock, you know, he is a bit of a budget Ben Wilmot, isn't he? And um, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, um, you know, I don't want to be unkind, but we are down to bare bones anyway. But it does make me sort of wonder. I mean, Ben, ben Wilmot himself is only about 23, I think, and is, is still knocking around in the championship for Stoke. I do wonder what the thinking is with some of these young English players. I think they're, they, they really are kind of ticking the box, aren't they, of, of, the, of the homegrown players, some of them. And I don't think that really speaks to positively of the the squad the club's kind of squad building ethos you know um it feels like they sort of take a punt on one player um choose them up spit them out send them off somewhere else and get the next one in and the next one in and the next one in um as for hungbo i'm not uh, a big fan just because of what he doesn't do he doesn't track back he doesn't sort of defend space you know he doesn't really work and in those wide positions the the most of the job is about that graft and then you do that graft and then you gain the opportunity and and kind of the permission if you like to get on the front foot and go forward unless you're kind of you know John Barnes or 
or something you know you have to do that that real kind of grunt work first and there were a couple of moments in the first half especially when people just ran past him and that really as a spectator I know I, I'm probably odd in that I look out for things like that but it really grinds my gears when I see um, the offensive players failing to give that first line of defence if you do that everybody behind you has an easier ride and if everyone behind you has an easier ride then the team looks much more solid and every, the, the foundations are so much more secure um, so I would if I was Slavin Bilic I would be in his ear saying look you've just got to close down quicker um, and also when you do get on the ball don't fall over ah oh. As a supporter, it's so maddening. You're in a good attacking position and Hungbo just kind of goes down under the slightest pressure, sinking that he's going to get a free kick. And then when the free kick doesn't come, all we get is kind of exasperation, isn't it? You know, um, And I think those are lessons that young players maybe, um, perhaps they just watch too much football at the top level. Maybe they watch uh, the, the Premier League players going down easily and winning free kicks. You know, It doesn't necessarily work like that in the, in the championship if you're not the kind of the, the, the star player because no matter what anybody says about referees, you know, there is almost a sort of unconscious bias, isn't there, towards star players. And, uh, you know, one or two... Of um, of those young players, you know, in the team, I think probably came out of today, you know, puffing their cheeks out, thinking, "Blimey, um, you know, there's there's perhaps more to this than uh, the, the the sort of training ground theoreticals are teaching me." We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! So we we go ahead with still lots of injuries. Um, we've got Blackpool, who who won quite convincingly today in the FA Cup. I don't know who they're playing. And, you know, you can't really look at an FA Cup third round game from somebody else and, and figure out where they're at. But it is a little bit of revenge, not revenge. That was one of our worst performances um, away at, at Blackpool, um, even though we did get the free kick from loser. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's a continual just getting through these next few games and if Chowdhury can come back, Lionel, I'm a bit happier, but I'm, it's not turning us around. And who knows, you know, no Jao Pedro, will Ishmael Asar still be around? Will he step up? It's, I'm, I'm nowhere near comforting going into that game, even more so, I think. What about you? Well, I, I mean, I say it every time I talk to you, John, you know, the championship is, is just a, a sort of marathon that's run through syrup, isn't it? I mean, um, with, with obstacles thrown in the way when you least expect. I mean, this injury crisis is absolutely remarkable. I mean, I can't remember an injury crisis like this in the time I've been supporting Watford. Uh, the autumn of 1983 is just before my time, really. But that was probably uh, the most famous injury crisis in the club's history in the sense that half the previous years kind of reserve team played in the UEFA Cup matches um, this injury crisis just is remarkable for uh, the, the fact there's so many similar types of injury hamstrings uh, for one and we saw Bakuna go down within four or five minutes of, of, of being on the pitch with you know one of his first kicks I mean he was attempting a cross and he pulled up immediately to me I mean obviously I'm a long way away I'm not a medical expert but it looked like a hamstring to me so he may be out for a, for a little while I, I don't really know what that says about the, the sort of general condition of the squad, you know, in the sort of wider picture. But in terms of where we are at the moment, we are just trying to get through one game at a time with the best team we can get on the pitch. 
Uh, and, and if we can get one back for Blackpool or two back for Blackpool, that's got to be a positive. Uh, I would hope that uh, Bilic is long enough in the tooth to know that, you know, caution may well uh, be the most sensible strategy at this point because we don't know where the season is going to end up and we don't want to rush people back and then have them break down and, and be out for even longer than they might be if just another week's kind of uh, caution would, would give them a better chance of playing a fuller part in the rest of the season. But it's just one game at a time, John, isn't it? I know it's the cliche, but we've just got to see yeah. what pit, what team we can get on the pitch against Blackpool. I saw enough today to think that if two or three of those players have to go into action either from the start or off the bench, it's not a disaster. You know, I think there's there's some signs of you know, hard work and commitment that we saw against Norwich from a, obviously a, a, a much stronger team. It's really about those performance levels rather than the personnel in a way because Millwall and Swansea were real poor performance levels whereas Norwich they they went out and they, they closed down and they worked hard and they, they did the simple things well and they did that today. They didn't get the result but there was a, a, I didn't come out of the ground thinking that we'd been you know shortchanged or um, that we got less than than we deserve from the players in yellow. So it's all about the team that can get on the pitch for the next two games and hoping that that team is good enough to get six points from two winnable home games, take a deep breath and then see what the next little batch um, throws at us. But uh, oh, the championship, man, you just can't write it sometimes, can you? I mean, every season you're in it, you're just wondering what on earth it's going to throw at you next. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, the answer is we can't throw much back at it um, because, uh, yeah, there's not much around. But we'll see what happens uh, at Vicarage Road next Saturday uh, where Watford take on Blackpool. Thank you very much, Colin. Oh, thanks, John. Yeah, goodbye. And um, really enjoyed being on the pod today with you, Lionel. So that was uh, fab, even though it was a somewhat disappointing uh, afternoon uh, in Berkshire. And thank you very much, Lionel, for your time. Thank you very much, John. And thank you, Colin. Of course, we'll be back with Fondle Recrend uh, next weekend. So uh, please tell your friends uh, and do follow us on social media at Watford Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, we've got another game to get through and we'll be getting it through together. Come on, you all! 